The failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. Hello and welcome to Century of Lies. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. The United Nations Commission on Narcotic Drugs held an intercessional meeting October 23rd through 25th. We heard a bit from that last week. We're going to hear more on today's show. But first, on October 25th, police in Vancouver, British Columbia, raided the storefront office of the Drug User Liberation Front, arresting Eris Nix and Jeremy Callicum. Individuals and organizations around the world are expressing their outrage at these police actions and showing their support for Jeremy and Eris, for Dolph, and for safe supply. On Friday, November 3rd, hundreds of people marched and rallied in Vancouver, B.C. and in Toronto, Ontario, to protest, calling for the release of Jeremy and Eris, the reinstatement of Delft's Safe Supply Program, and for the expansion of harm reduction and safe supply programs across Canada. D.J. Larkin, Executive Director of the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition, spoke at the Vancouver rally. All right, so here's the deal. Law enforcement against life-saving work has always happened. And it was just a hot second that they weren't. And that is why this community, communities of people who use drugs, families and friends, have always taken risk to provide the love and care that our communities need. We know that law, policy, and government-sponsored services always lag far, far behind the wisdom of community and the action of community. And it is this community, this community of people who use drugs that never wavers. You, keeping your eyes on the horizon is what creates generational and transformative change. And you know what, folks? It is working. I just saw a friend. So while the police are choosing to arrest people And in their own words, knowing that it could absolutely increase the risk of harm in our community, internationally, the tides are turning. One month ago, the UN High Commissioner on Human Rights called for the first time ever for pathways to responsible regulation. That means an end to prohibition. Around the world at the highest levels, at the highest levels of human rights accountability, governments are being called out because they are recognizing that it is drug laws, not drug users, and not drug sellers that are driving toxicity in the unregulated supply, violence in communities, poverty, and environmental destruction. The world sees you. Governments are being called out worldwide. And institutions are naming prohibitionist laws for what they are. They're a tool of racial and social control. They were never meant to promote public health, and they have failed utterly to support public safety. That is the change that you are leading. So let's make sure that you don't stand alone. None of us should be silent, and none of us can be silent right now. So I want to talk about the word illegal. It is far too easy for people who hold institutional power and privilege to hide behind that word, illegal. Dolph's Compassion Club did everything in their power to do life-saving work legally, and it is our system of law and policy that got in their way. So to those in positions and places, 
places of power, including lawyers, and knowing that even the courts recognize that when the law is unjust, civil disobedience is essential. Let us not hide behind the word illegal when it is obvious that the law and policy is unjust. So if you are in a position of power, it is now the time to vocally and actively stand up for this community. If it's life-saving work, it is only illegal because the law is unjust. Delph acted ethically within a system that is failing us all. So let's remember these words. We will not speak of life-saving work as illegal when it is the law and policy that is unjust. That was DJ Larkin, executive director of the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition, speaking November 3rd at a rally in Vancouver, British Columbia, in support of the Drug User Liberation Front. That brings me to the second mode of civil disobedience. There's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. This is Century of Lies. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. Turning now to the UN Commission on Narcotic Drugs. The CND held a set of intersessional meetings October 23rd through 25th in Vienna, Austria, to review progress on various aspects of international drug control. There were a number of really quite impressive presentations. We're going to hear a few. Let's start with Magdalena Dobkowska, Drug Policy Program Coordinator for the Helsinki Foundation for Human Rights. Distinguished delegates, I thank you for the opportunity for civil society to present a systematic discussion. I speak on behalf of one of the largest and oldest human rights organizations in Central and Eastern Europe and Central Asia, and thus I address the topic of today's conversation from the region where many people who use drugs experience criminalization, stigmatization, and marginalization. While responses to the world drug situation should remain in full conformity with standards introduced in the UN human rights documents and treaties, what we have observed for decades was the opposite. In its report released last month, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights recognized that zero-tolerance drug policies have had a significant impact on the enjoyment of human rights. In our region, national drug laws often prioritize punishment over support to people who use drugs. In some countries, criminalization contributes to arbitrary arrest and detention, prolonged pretrial detention, failure to ensure a fair trial, compulsory drug testing or treatment, police violence and harassment, and more. Thus, we welcome the OHCHR recommendations to decriminalize drug use and possession and ensure proportionate sentences to end the militarization of drug control and ensure that law enforcement efforts are fully consistent with states' human rights obligations. In CECA, like in other contexts, women, youth, specific ethnic groups, and people living in poverty are disproportionately affected by punitive drug control. In some countries, repressive drug laws have become a tool to harass not only people who use drugs, but also opponents of authoritarian regimes, free media journalists, human rights defenders, and civil society organizations. Only 17% of the Eurasian population enjoy partial freedom, while the other 83% are not free. 
For the 19th consecutive year, democratic governance has suffered an overall decline in the region stretching from Central Europe to Central Asia. A combination of the punitive approach to drugs and authoritarianism can be truly devastating. When space for civil society in general is shrinking, it becomes almost non-existent for those working in drug policy and harm reduction. Barriers are created for NGO registration, public action and advocacy. Activists and leaders are unjustifiably harassed and arrested. NGOs find themselves under surveillance and punished for receiving financial or technical support from abroad or for contacting international institutions. It has sometimes resulted in the closure of life-saving method of programs and harm reduction services. And so, people who use drugs continue to be highly affected by preventable infections. The AHV epidemic in EEZA continues to grow, with one-third of new infections associated with injecting drug use. In this context, we call on you to implement the OHCHR recommendations to ensure the protection of the right to health for all across the region and globally by providing access to gender-sensitive medical care, voluntary treatment and harm reduction, both in the community and in prisons. I conclude by noting yet another recommendation of the High Commissioner to ensure the consistent incorporation of human rights in the work of international drug control mechanisms. Human rights should be at the heart of 2024 midterm review and of international drug policy more generally. I thank you. That was Magdalena Dubkovska, Drug Policy Program Coordinator for the Helsinki Foundation for Human Rights, speaking October 25th at the UN Commission on Narcotic Drugs Intercessional Meeting. Dr. Sari Nantasut is a member of the United Nations Committee on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights. Good afternoon. I'd like to welcome this opportunity to engage with CND at this session. I'd like to recap on what I previously presented. We are seeing emergence of three key issues when we talk about drug policies. The first issue is emergence of new language and new trajectory. Increasingly, people are talking about human dignity and sustainability as integral part of UN and member states' obligation. The language of harm reduction is increasingly present as well. Secondly, there is a call, increasing call, for the whole of UN approach, an approach which is buttressed by coordinated, balanced, and comprehensive approach. Integration of human rights and development in drug-related policies is also called for. Thirdly, there is a need for cooperation between the Committee on Narcotic Drugs and Human Rights System, particularly the treaty bodies like Committee on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights and the Special Procedures. The Committee on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights has appointed a group of rapporteurs comprising three members led by myself. The three of us have come up with an unannotated outline of the general comment on the impact of drug policies, which will serve as, an comprehensive, as an, a comprehensive guideline for state parties when they observe the International Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights, and also as a basic um, understanding of the committee members and other treaty bodies themselves. Our outline at the moment comprises five key issues. The first issue is on the determination of the scope of drug control applicability, that is, the scheduling of what is classified as drug under the control of the conventions. This is an evidence-based approach, which is of critical importance. 
We know that the issue of drug is very dynamic, but we need to have an evidence-based approach, a scientific-based approach. The second issue is alternative to criminalization, which seeks to address the manifest racial and class-related discrimination in the enforcement of drug laws. We have observed that there is a disproportionate impact on the poor and marginalized group, especially those in detention and correctional facilities. Criminalization fails to address the underlying problems of addiction, abuse, and overdose. Thirdly, there must be sequencing of crop eradication, which allows for compensation and the respect for the right to an adequate standard of living and the right to work, particularly of those of indigenous groups and women and children in rural areas. The fourth topic is a move away from the patient versus criminal dichotomy. We need to acknowledge the right to bodily autonomy and the freedom from forced treatment. Drug treatment must be on a voluntary basis with free and informed consent. The fifth issue pertains to the future or evolution of drug policy. There is an increasing challenge of drug policy in general to integrate human rights-based approach and also the alignment with the Sustainable Development Goal. In this general comment, we also see a need to highlight the state obligations. State must protect, respect, fulfill, and they must provide remedy in the case of violation. Another group of duty barrier is business. And here we need to highlight the fact or the importance of the United Nations guiding principle on human rights as well. In addition, we need to also integrate the concern for those groups who are disproportionately impacted by drug policies, like people who use drugs, people with disabilities, migrant workers, people in asylum and refugee status. So this is the start of our process, and we, will look, we look forward to engaging with the CND and those in Vienna as well. I look forward to our further coordination. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Sari Nantasut, a member of the United Nations Committee on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, speaking October 25th at the UN Commission on Narcotic Drugs Intercessional Meeting. You're listening to Century of Lies. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. Staying with the CND, let's hear from some of the delegations. First, from October 24th, here's the Colombian delegate. Colombia would like to highlight the connection between drug trafficking and um, several enabling crimes, such as trafficking in firearms, illegal mining, environmental crimes, and human trafficking. Once, in our experience, once organized crime sets an eye on an area of the country, a wide array of crimes can be seen. In terms of trafficking in firearms, in 2021, jointly with UNODC, the government of Colombia produced an atlas to assess the phenomenon of organized crime and transnational violence in our bordering areas. 
One of the main findings was that one of the illicit activities closely related to the establishment of coca crops, production, and drug trafficking was arms trafficking. This study showed that the trafficking of weapons, ammunition, and explosives was important in the border areas. This has allowed illegal arms trafficking networks to bring different kinds of arms, including small arms, across the border, are, the border areas via sea and land routes for criminal organizations that drive cocaine production in Colombia. In terms of illegal mining, research conducted by the Ministry of Mining and UNODC in Colombia in 2021 indicated that approximately, approximately 38% of the territories with illegal mining were identified as having coca cultivation, which shows the close relationship between drug trafficking and other crimes. In terms of the protection of our environment, illicit drug trafficking is exacerbating and amplifying an array of other criminal economies in the Amazon, including illegal land occupation, illegal logging, illegal mining, trafficking in wildlife, and other crimes that affect the environment. Drug trafficking constitutes just one of multiple criminal activities in which organized criminal groups are involved, together with land grabbing, timber trafficking, illegal mining, and trafficking of wildlife across the region. Our authorities have detected that drug trafficking groups are also bartering in wildlife and commodities to transfer value between illicit, among illicit economies. So this goes much farther than drug trafficking. Drug trafficking generates new types of illegal activities. And this is not only ravaging our native biodiversity, but also feeding into transnational organized crime. So since we have the diagnosis of the situation, I would like to point out the following. When countries work to educate customers not to buy wildlife in foreign markets, they are helping us fight drug trafficking. When countries act to stop contraband of illegal minerals, they are helping us fight drug trafficking. When countries invest in the countries of origin of massive migration flows, they are helping us fight drug trafficking. And I'd like to point out that today, through the Darien Gap, we have a major drug route where migrants are being used to uh, move drugs um, towards the United States. So when countries impose controls on arms, they are helping us fight drug trafficking. So um, the call of Colom our call from Colombia is to have an integrated vision of the problem. Um, fight 
fighting drug trafficking needs a wider lens than the one we have been using. And it requires a lot of money, a lot of investment in the populations. So thank you, Mr. Chairman. That was the Colombian delegate speaking October 24th at the UN Commission on Narcotic Drugs Intercessional Meeting. Let's hear another intervention from the Colombian delegate. This one's from October 25th. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I will give this statement in remembrance of all Colombian lives lost during the war on drugs. For decades, Colombia has made an enormous investment in human and economic terms to combat drug trafficking. This year, the Colombian Drug Observatory has estimated that on average, the annual expenditure has been 900 million American dollars, thus reaching an investment of approximately $18 billion in the last 20 years. Can you imagine what we could have done with this money in my country? Just think of how much you could have done in your own. How many people we could, have, we could, have, could have been provided with better education? How many women with better health care? How many elderly with retirement pension? How many lives we could have saved from violence? How many people we could have lifted out of poverty? The drug situation has been a constraint to the development of Colombia. And despite all of our efforts, we have not succeeded in reducing the supply. Between 2012 and 2022, almost 850,000 hectares of coca crops were forcibly eradicated. I emphasize forcibly. The area planted during that decade increased by 327%. In our last report, Colombia reached 230,000 hectares of coca and a potential production of 1,700 metric tons of cocaine. If this were only Colombia, all indicators are worse globally, not only, not only with respect to 2019 when we adopted the ministerial declaration and identified the 11 challenges, but also over the last decade. UNODC has been reporting this to us every single year through the World Drug Report, and we have not stood up to the challenge of changing our global approach. So Colombia decided to move ahead. Colombia will no longer sacrifice lives nor waste resources. Colombia will no longer criminalize peasants, but will indeed put all the weight of law enforcement in the higher echelons of the supply chain. We will follow the money, not the people. We will treat drug abuse as an illness to be prevented, and we will fight stigmatization of consumers. Our money will go into alternative development because we believe that our peasants, peasants cultivate coca bushes because we were not able to bring, bring them development. Our new drug policy is human rights based. Although the protection of health and welfare are considered basic principles of the 1988 convention, human rights have been affected globally on behalf of the international drug control system. 
such as the right to life and health established in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. UNGAS 2016 did not bring a, ra a radical paradigm shift, but it did lay some foundations for an approach based on human rights, health, and some level of autonomy in policy, policy formulation. We are convinced that the conventions should and must uphold and promote the fundamental human rights principles of dignity, universality, and non-discrimination. And for that reason, we welcome the landmark comprehensive report on human rights in drug policy recently, recently released by the High Commissioner for Human Rights as a contribution to the midterm review in 2024. Colombia believes, as does the Secretary General of the UN, that there is one single UN, and Vienna, Geneva, New York should talk to each other. And there's also one single membership. And if we care for human rights, we care for them in Vienna, Geneva, New York. We reiterate the messages and the call made by the 47 members, member states through the joint state statement delivered by Switzerland at the beginning of our discussions this week. Colombia subscribed it and sponsored it. But we have an elephant in the room. Despite the fact that we have nearly universal adherence to the conventions, there's two statements read. The statement read by Switzerland and then now, today, the statement read, read by Singapore show radically different interpretations of the conventions. Colombia will welcome a frank dialogue on how to adapt a 72-year-old convention, a 52-year-old convention, and a 35-year-old convention in the light of today's challenges. But we know the membership is not ready for that talk. Still, we are at the center of the drug situation, drug problem, call it as you wish. We are at the center of it. And we cannot resign ourselves to a stalemate because stalemates mean paralysis. Colombia is hopeful that if we center our discussions on the primacy of the right to health and the primacy of scientific evidence, we open the door to dialogue. We all have accepted those principles. If we do not have the scientific evidence, let's go find it. We all need to respond to the demands of our societies, and we all understand that we have margins of appreci appreciation. But Colombia believes that it is also our duty to find common ground at the international level. It is our common and shared responsibility. Colombia is always open to conversation with all members. Now to finalize this statement, I would like to add the following. Colombia supports peacemaking domestically and internationally. We will condemn attacks against civilians no matter where. We respect the right to self-defense as a shrine in the UN Charter 
and also believe that the right to self-defense has limitations imposed by treaty and customary law. Colombia supports the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres. Thank you, Chairman. That was the Colombian delegate speaking October 25th at the UN Commission on Narcotic Drugs Intercessional Meeting. The next intercessional meeting will be from December 4th through 6th. These meetings are being live-streamed via the UN's primary media outlet, which is at media.un.org. You can find information about these meetings, the schedule and the rest, at the UNODC website, which is unodc.org. And for now, that's it. Thank you for joining us. This has been Century of Lies. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. Century of Lies is a volunteer production for community radio and syndicated via the Pacifica Foundation Radio Network's audio port service. Please support your local community radio station. Become a member. Become a volunteer. Find this edition of Century along with an archive of past shows at the Drug Truth Network website, drugtruth.net. You'll also find a link there to subscribe to the Century of Lies podcast. We'll be back in a week with 30 more minutes of news and information about drug policy and the failed war on drugs. For now, this is Doug McVeigh saying so long. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh asking you to examine our policy of drug prohibition, the century of lies. Drug Truth Network programs archived at the James A. Baker III Institute for Public Policy. Thank you.